The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks looking to hit the reset button after the Dow snaps a month-long win streak, but futures are pointing slightly higher at the start of this new trading week. And candidates making the final push ahead of tomorrow's midterm elections as President Biden looks to fend off a red wave we are live in Washington with the very latest in what voters are saying ahead of Election Day. And Apple out with a new warning on the impact of China's COVID lockdowns on one of its most popular products, why getting a new iPhone may be a lot more challenging. And Meta reportedly preparing to roll out large-scale layoffs as the tech sector's surge of job cuts intensifies. And last but certainly not least, Elon Musk hitting the pause on the rollout of a new plan to charge Twitter users to verify their accounts as the company reportedly looks to bring back some of its fired workers. It is Monday, November the 7th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good Monday morning. I am Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. I hope you had a great weekend. Let's kick off this Monday and this hour with a check on the markets and your money. As I mentioned, futures right now just slightly higher this morning. We're seeing right now the Dow could open up almost 100 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq both up about a quarter of a percent at this moment. Of course, it's still early and stocks are coming off a pretty tough week last week. All three major indices facing solid losses. Take a look right here. You see the chart. The Nasdaq down more than five and a half percent. The Dow, meanwhile, snapping four straight weeks of gains. Checking the bond market, as we always do, the 10-year yield right now still above 4% right now at 4.14. We're still seeing that inverted yield curve with the two-year note at 4.684, something to continue to watch. Again, something that people often call, look to as a recessionary signal. And then turning to energy. Oil really remaining in a tight trading range as of late. WTI right now, just above 92 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at 98 bucks a barrel. Both of them fractionally lower this morning, as you can see. And taking a look at cryptos, we're going to talk a lot more about crypto later on in the show. But right now, we're looking at Bitcoin. Bitcoin trading just above that key 20,000 mark down this morning, more than 2%. Ether and XRP also down more than 2.5% at this moment. All right, let's go worldwide right now with a check on the overnight action in Asia as well as the early trade over in Europe, our Giovanna Bersetti. She's live in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Giovanna. Good morning, Frank. Well, we had some weak trade data out of China overnight, with both exports and imports showing its first contraction since May 2020. So not supportive on the trade front. Also authorities coming out and uh, really putting down any uh, hopes that the market had of a reopening uh, due to the pandemic. So both negative data points, but surprisingly, Pretty positive uh, price action. Shanghai Composite up about two-tenths of a percentage point. The Hang Seng up 2.7 percentage points. So brushing off some of those macro concerns. And you can see over in Australia as well, we have the uh, Aussie index up about six-tenths of a percentage point, even as uh, the commodity sector catches a bit of a breath here. Over in European markets, the picture is also quite positive, tilting slightly negative now, but we did open up in more positive territory. The FTSE 100 in the UK down about a tenth of a percentage point. House prices have started showing a month-on-month decline for the first time 
since the beginning of 2021. So higher interest rates are beginning to have an impact there. Zetsche tax in Germany up seven tenths of a percentage point. So we had some surprisingly better than expected factory imports numbers. So uh, better than markets had, be, had been anticipating, particularly because of the focus on the German manufacturing sector at this point. Kekarant down about four basis points. One name we're following there is Renault. Tomorrow they have their capital markets. They expected to show perhaps a spin-off of their electric vehicle units. So that is one name to watch there, Frank. All right, Germana, thank you very much. Our Germana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. All right, let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Apple is warning of ongoing COVID restrictions in China are hurting production of iPhones. The company revealing it has temporarily scaled back production of its iPhone 14 model specifically. Apple says the factory where the Pro and Pro Max models are made uh, is operating at a significantly reduced capacity. The company says as a result, it will likely ship fewer devices and customers will face longer waiting times when ordering their iPhones. All of this coming amid the critical holiday sales period for Apple. Berkshire Hathaway posting a big jump in its operating earnings with its third quarter results, that figure totaling more than $7.7 billion during the period, up 20% from a year ago. However, the company did suffer a roughly $10 billion loss on its investments during the quarter due to the market's ongoing turmoil. Berkshire also revealing it spent just over a billion dollars in share buybacks, bringing its nine-month total to more than $5 billion. And employees at a Home Depot store in Philadelphia overwhelmingly rejecting a plan to become the retailers first to unionize. The National Labor Relations Board reporting that just 51 workers voted in favor of the plan, with 165 voting against. The company and union organizations both have five days to file objections. I guess it's just a w losing weekend in Philly, Frank. <laughs> You know, that, that's a low blow, Bertha. Yes, the Phillies lost, but on Thursday, the sad. Eagles won. It was sad. I was, I, I was rooting for the, for the Phillies. I think so most people are rooting for the Phillies. You know, we're not going to talk okay. about the issues the Houston Astros have, but congratulations to them. They did win the World Series. <laughs> yeah. Our Bertha Coombs, a Boston Red Sox fan, taking a little shot there. Thank you very <laughs> much. We'll talk to you later on the show. All right, candidates across the country are racing to shore up any last-minute support of, ahead of tomorrow's midterm elections. And President Biden, as well as two former presidents, hitting the campaign trail to try to sway critical contests. NBC's Bree Jackson, she joins us now from Washington with much more on this story. Bree, a lot of political star power out there on the trail this weekend. Absolutely. Good morning, Frank. Well, it's crunch time and President Biden will spend this last full day before Election Day campaigning in Maryland, while former President Trump will hit the road and hold a rally in Ohio. A final pitch to voters in the final days leading into a crucial midterms. This election isn't a referendum, it's a choice. It's a choice between two fundamentally different visions of America. On the campaign trail, President Biden is touting his administration's investments in climate, That's warned of threats now. to democracy, and praised job gains under Democratic leadership. This weekend was filled with last-minute campaigning by Mr. Biden and past presidents in the Keystone State. At Republican rallies, former President Trump, who's poised to make another run at the White House, putting the blame on those in power now for Americans' economic woes. If you want to stop the destruction of our country and save the American dream, then this Tuesday you must vote Republican in a giant red wave. 
The final NBC News poll before Election Day shows President Biden's approval at only 44 percent. This election is about the Biden agenda. People don't like high inflation, high crime, open borders, fentanyl. Abortion is also on the ballot and is among the key issues Democrats are focusing on. We're going to defend our, our mainstream democratic values against the threats to our democracy. We're going to protect women's reproductive freedom and voting rights. In our latest NBC News poll, election enthusiasm is now dead even at 73 percent for both Republicans and Democrats. With less than 24 hours until Election Day and control of Congress at stake, both parties are doing everything they can to sway last-minute voters. So what's at stake on Tuesday? All 435 House seats, 35 Senate seats, and majority power in Congress. Frank? Yeah, certainly a lot on the line, Bree. Uh, which Senate races are the tightest as we bump up against Election Day? Yeah, Frank, there are about a handful of races that are close, Senate races that are close, including the one that was mentioned in Pennsylvania. There's Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, and of course, that closely watched Senate race in Georgia. So all eyes on those races. Yeah, certainly all eyes on this midterm election. One of the highest stakes midterm elections we've seen in quite a bit. NBC's Bree Jackson, we appreciate you. Thank you. And be sure to turn in to CNBC's election night special, Business on the Ballot. That's tomorrow night at 7 Eastern with the business topics at play in the midterms and how the results could impact your money. All right, we return right here on Worldwide Exchange, scaling back the new lower earnings outlook. One major bank has issued and the concerning signals it sees all around margins. Plus, tech stocks coming off one of their worst weeks of the year. We dive into where opportunity may lie within that beaten up sector and the ongoing financial crisis in Lebanon creating new opportunity for cryptos. How some of the country are betting on Bitcoin and others to shore up their bottom lines. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Back to the markets as earnings season rolls on with reports from the likes of TripAdvisor, Lyft, Disney, Roblox, Wendy's, and Ralph Lauren. Amid all that, Goldman Sachs is lowering its earnings growth forecast for the S&P 500 for next year. And a note to clients, equity strategist David Costin says he's reducing that figure from 3% to zero, citing margin headwinds, adding the outlook could dim further if the U.S. enters a recession. For much more on this, let's bring in Seema Shah, Chief Global Strategist and Principal Asset Management. Good morning, Seema. Great, great to have you here. Good morning. All right, so we, we just kind of touched on something that we had to ask you about. Uh, Goldman lowering its growth forecast for the S&P 500 in 2023 down to zero from 3%, saying a recession could lead to further revision to the downside. Um, how do you see the markets playing out for the rest of the year and also into 2023? Thanks. Well, so look, I think for the remainder of this year, I think there is potential for a bit of a technical rally. You know, we know that around the midterm elections, you typically do get a bit of a um, an upturn where the market rallies for the next 12 months. That is, that is the standard 
um, action for markets historically. Now, we think that could happen because sentiment has been so negative. But as you get into 2023, and in line, certainly what you've heard from Goldman Sachs there, is that we are expecting earnings to take a bit of a, a, a drop back, um, margin pressures, as they said, to coming really to the forefront. And then we are expecting recession in the U.S. from the second quarter. So that will drag down earnings growth and then put that renewed downward pressure on equity markets through next year. Yeah, certainly a lot of pressure on markets in general right now. So um, another thing we have to talk to you about is Jay Powell's commentary from last week saying that rates could go higher than previously expected. How does that change your view of portfolio management for uh, a little bit now? A couple of weeks ago, we've been talking about the 60-40 portfolio coming back. Does his commentary change that at all? So I think we've had a slightly more negative view of um, of the overall the broad market outlook for a while. So we have expected U.S. rates to go a little bit higher than certainly what the market had been anticipating. And certainly for us, um, to see Fed funds rate above 5% would not be surprising at all. So from that perspective, not much has changed. We do think this is the time to have a really defensive portfolio. Um, you know, of course, you have exposure to equities and fixed income. But within both of those, it's really time to be looking defensive and quality as we get into next year where the macroeconomic challenges really start to build up. And then at the same time, looking beyond that traditional 60-40, so looking beyond equity, looking beyond fixed income, and really focusing more on the alternative space, um, especially real assets, which will typically do well in this low-growth, high-inflation environment that we are expecting to persist through next year. Interesting. So are there certain sectors that you're really keying in on to be defensive, as you say? Well, yes. So within sectors as well, it's really important to start looking at which of the companies that you're looking at. You know, do they have margin um, resilience? Can they continue with pricing power as uh, things get more and more difficult through next year? So we continue to like energy. But actually, this is really more of a, a kind of a mid versus large cap play. So looking at the global environment and saying, which countries do we think are going to perform better? So from that perspective, we do think that although the U.S. is challenged, we think the U.S. is going to outperform the others. So from that perspective, you want to be looking a little bit more domestic. Uh, and that plays into the mid-cap story, certainly over the large-cap story, which has got that greater um, um, exposure to outside of the U.S. and to kind of emerging markets in Europe. So we're looking at quality, looking at defense, and trying to really play the story sector by sector um, and certainly cap size by cap size and saying which bits are going to be the most resilient as we go into 2023. All right, elephant in the room, the midterm elections that happen tomorrow. How big of an impact do you see those having on the markets? So I think inevitably what we've seen time and time again over the years is that it does have a bit of a short-term impact, right? Typically that clearing up of uncertainty that has been weighing on markets, weighing on investors for several months in the run-up to the midterms, once they're cleared up, the market certainly likes um, certainty, as we know, and then, it can, and then it starts to rally. Now, we have to remember that in this situation this year, though, we have much, much bigger issues facing the market. That's inflation, rising interest rates, and potential recession in 2023. So I think there could be a bit of a short-term bounce um, through the end of the year. But then as we get into 2023, those bigger issues really have to come back to the surface. And we do expect that would re-weigh um, on markets and push them back down again. All right, Seema Shah, great to have you here. Thank you again. Appreciate it. All Thanks right, so still much. on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the tech industry's wave of job cuts set to roll on as Meta reportedly prepares to let thousands of employees go. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? 
when we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back. This week marks one year since peak crypto. Since then, Bitcoin's down nearly 70% from its all-time high, while the overall value of the crypto market is down around $2 trillion since, the, since November of last year. Despite that downturn, countries facing hyperinflation and local currencies plummeting, they're seeing an uptick in the use of digital assets. CNBC's Mackenzie Sagalos joins us now with more on Lebanon, becoming the latest country to turn to cryptos. Mac, you've been speaking to people on the ground there. You have a new piece up on CNBC.com. We're seeing the headline right here. What are locals telling you about the impact of that country's financial crisis and where crypto fits in? Good morning, Frank. So after decades of war and bad spending decisions by the government, Lebanon's economy is in ruin. I'm speaking to people who have had their life savings wiped out. There are fuel shortages and power cuts, a local currency that's lost 95 percent of its value and crucially money trapped in the bank. People are literally robbing banks at gunpoint to demand access to their own cash. And because of this, a sort of shadow crypto economy has emerged. So we're talking about locals mining for Bitcoin, Dogecoin and Litecoin to earn money because they can't find work. Others are getting paid in Bitcoin by finding freelance gigs on Reddit and then treating Bitcoin like their bank because they think it's the safest way to store their savings. I also spoke to multiple people who are arranging meetings in Telegram to swap the stablecoin Tether for actual U.S. dollars, which they then use to buy groceries. Overwhelmingly, what I keep hearing is that people are desperate for a connection to money that actually makes sense and decentralized digital currencies that are outside the reach of bankers and politicians makes a whole lot more sense than the Lebanese lira right now. All right, so Mac, let's talk a little bit about some of those crypto mines you mentioned. If there's widespread power cuts and fuel shortages, how does this actually make sense as a way to make money? So it makes sense because of hydropower. So in certain pockets of the country, like in the Shouf mountain range, which is south of Lebanon, there is abundant and inexpensive electricity being harnessed from the Liktani River. Now, I spoke to Ahmed Abouder. He's 22 years old, and he runs an expansive mining network across the country. Now, he has 40 employees working from him. Some of his mining farms are actually running on solar power closer to the Syrian border. And what I find especially compelling about his business model is the fact that he allows people to remotely invest in his operation and then earn a monthly dividend in crypto. And some of his customers are at the opposite end of the country from where these farms are. Some are in Syria, Turkey, and Egypt. It's a really interesting setup. All right. I know how well-versed you are on crypto. You have a lot of insight on the entire industry, but you're going to have to explain this one. Tether as a form of currency or money. Can you just explain that one? Because we saw some of the issues with it previously. Right. So in some cases, people are using Tether as a way to get a hold of physical cash. Because remember, even when the Lebanese banks let you withdraw money from your account, there are certain caps on it and they're taking a huge chunk out of your deposit. So other people are turning to online forums. They're going to telegram groups to set up a trade. This can be $30 worth of Tether in exchange for physical U.S. dollar bills. Sometimes it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. There are also slightly more formal channels, although all of what we're talking about right now is the black market. But there are these over-the-counter exchange traders who deal specifically in crypto but they're going to take a cut of the transaction on either end. And then, Frank, there are some merchants who are actually getting into the business of accepting Tether directly. There are restaurants and markets. They just say it's a better way to do business nowadays. All right, more and more, we're seeing different utilities for cryptocurrencies. Mackenzie Sagalas, always great to see you. Always great to have your insight (laughs) on cryptocurrency, which can be a bit opaque, but you're definitely shining some light on it. Thank you. 
Thanks, Frank. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a potential major deal in the health space as Walgreens reportedly looks to dive deeper into medical care. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Stocks looking to get back on track as investors turn their attention to key inflation data this week, but futures looking to at gains to kick off this new trading week. China's ongoing curve curbs impacting one of the world's biggest companies. We're live in Beijing as Apple issues a new warning over iPhone production in that country. And Meta reportedly preparing to carry out large-scale layoffs, becoming the latest tech giant to dramatically ramp up job cuts. It is Monday, November the 7th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin, in for Brian Selden. Hope you had a great weekend. Let's get this Monday, Monday, Monday morning started. I'm even struggling on it. We'll look at your markets and your money. The markets, your money, whichever way you want to say it. Here's the important story. Futures right now, they are in the green. You're looking at the Dow right now. It looks like it could open up more than 150 points higher. The S&P and the NASDAQ also fractionally higher. Remember, the Nasdaq's coming off its worst week since January. Check out one of the subsectors within tech, software and services. The XSW ETF down nearly 9% last week. The Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF, ticker WCLD, falling more than 14% for its worst week ever. It holds all the major cloud names, including Salesforce, Snowflake, and ServiceNow. Two stocks in particular suffering major losses on disappointing earnings. Atlassian and Twilio both shedding more than a third of their value just on Friday. Let's talk more about the cloud or software as a service sector with Rob Oliver, senior analyst at Baird. Rob, great to have you here. Great. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Frank. So we just touched on it. WCLD having its worst week ever, certainly its worst week since the start of the pandemic. What is going on here? Is this rate pressure or is this investors losing confidence in the narrative of the cloud transition? I think it's a little bit of both. I think this sell-off in software and SaaS started out as a rate issue. Uh, um, Software companies are very sensitive, uh, particularly on long-term discounted cash flow. They're very sensitive to rising interest rates. So initially it was that. That has evolved. And what it has evolved into is a question around demand. Uh, and most recently, demand, and you mentioned it last year and earlier, demand for some of the cloud companies uh, has slowed. And I think what investors are looking at right now is what does 2023 growth look like and when do we get out of this demand decline that we're in right now. And, and I think it's important to, to point out here, Frank, as well, is that software business models have changed tremendously since the last real economic downturn. And you have many companies that have never gone through a recession before, and you have business models that have not been tested by recession. So there's a lot of unknowns in the sector. You know, that's a great point. So which one of these business models do you see being the most tested by this situation that we're in right now with all this pressure from rates and, of course, recessionary talk? And is there a company in particular, maybe one reporting earnings this week, that you think will be a litmus test for that? Well, you know, most most a lot of excitement within the software sector has been around the new models, which are much more product led growth models. And those models are much more land and expand, low cost. And really the poster child for that business model has been Atlassian. Uh, and the beautiful thing about those models, and they have benefited tremendously during this time period. The beautiful thing about those models is that uh, they, they're not as top heavy as old software. Software used to be about steak dinners and year long 
long sales cycles and big deals that were seven figures. That has changed dramatically, and there's been a convergence between the user and the buyer, very similar to the way uh, there's been a convergence between user and buyer and consumer-facing technology. That has come into enterprise software. That's been all good up to recently. And what we're seeing now is that the the free users that converted to paid in the case of Atlassian and others are no longer converting to paid as quickly because of the economic downturns. So uh, we think those models are durable. We really like those companies longer term, but through this time period and typically through tougher, more challenging spending times, companies like Salesforce, uh, ServiceNow, companies that have been tested through this time period and have big platforms that can potentially gain share, those are the sorts of companies that we expect to come out really strong. So we're seeing a lot of layoffs when it comes to tech. Um, one of the things that we've seen before this round of layoffs is a lot of people increasing their sales team. Palantir, which reports its earnings later today, uh, previously said they increased their sales team. A lot of companies were trying to do that to, again, that product-led growth. They want to get their product out there. Do you see a big shift in that? Are these layoffs going to hurt their ability to grow? Yeah, that's a great question, Frank, and you're absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, seat-based software, whether it be sales, marketing, and front office, um, is discretionary because it depends on the number of people you're going to hire. And if your hiring plans are to hire 100 salespeople this year, and that's in your budget for software, and you've talked about that with your software vendor, and you're only going to hire 70 or 80 or maybe freeze hiring altogether, that has an immediate impact on these businesses. There is absolutely no doubt. Why I think they're going to be fine and come out the other side of this is because you have extremely strong long-term secular growth. You have recurring revenue, unlike we had in previous cycles where uh, you had old license models that were very up and down and swung wildly. You have no inventory in this sector. And you know, a lot of concerns about inventory right now. This is an inventory-free business. That's very, very compelling. Uh, you're not as dependent upon labor in this sector. So, uh, you know, you asked about the cloud very early on. I happen to think we're in the kind of middle innings of this cloud uh, move. And I think uh, there's a strong secular growth story for this sector. But there is no question to your point that in the near term, changes in hiring and seat based assumptions will impact this group. All right. Certainly something to watch. The WCLD coming off its worst week since the start of the pandemic. Actually, it's worst week ever. Rob Oliver, we appreciate the insight. Thanks, Frank. Have a good day. All right, let's get a check with some of the morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs, she's back with those. Good morning again, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Meta Platforms is said to be preparing large-scale layoffs. The Wall Street Journal reports the announcement could come as soon as Wednesday and impact thousands of employees. The company has already told staff to cancel non-essential travel. Cuts would be the first major reduction in headcount in the company's 18-year history. Last month, Meta forecast a weak holiday quarter and higher costs next year. Meta has declined comment on that journal report. Meantime, Twitter is delaying the launch of its new verified account system until Wednesday, after the U.S. midterm election. Twitter Blue will let anyone who pays $8 a month get the once coveted and verified blue checkmark. The New York Times reports the delay comes amid concerns a spike in misinformation from unverified but checkmarked accounts could interfere with voting. Twitter laid off about half its staff on Friday, but already it's calling some of those workers back. Bloomberg reports some people may have been cut by mistake, and the company is realizing the experience of others is necessary to build the changes being sought by new owner Elon Musk.
And a major health care deal appears to be in the works. The Wall Street Journal reporting Village MD, which is majority owned by Walgreens Boots Alliance, is in advanced talks to combine with Summit Health. The deal, worth roughly $9 billion, including debt, could be announced as soon as today. Cigna is also expected to invest in the combined company. Village MD runs primary care centers, about 150 million. 50 of them in the New York, New Jersey area, while Summit owns medical practices and urgent care centers, rather, those here in New York and New Jersey under the brand name CityMD. So this would be a very big deal, Frank, as there's continues to be that land grab to yeah. try to get primary care more integrated with other services. Yeah, a lot of big moves in the healthcare space recently. Our Bertha Coombs, thank you for that. All right, now turning our attention to that developing story around Apple, out with a new warning saying that China's ongoing COVID restrictions will impact the production of its very popular iPhone. Our Eunice Yoon joins us from Beijing with much more on this story. I think a lot of Americans are getting nervous about getting their hands on a new iPhone right now, Eunice. Absolutely, and they have good reason for it. Uh, Foxconn, which is the Apple supplier uh, that has been handling um, a very difficult situation for itself at its iPhone factory here in China, or at least one of the major ones, uh, said that it's going to revise down its uh, Q4 forecast. This is traditionally a very important time for the Taiwanese company. However, uh, it said that it was going to have to do so because of the COVID curbs. Um, even so, they said that it's trying to manage the fallout as best it can. Uh, in a statement, Foxconn said it's working with the government to resume full capacity as quickly as possible. Now, that means improve, improve, to improve the uh, conditions at the factory to make sure that it's just much more livable for people who have to work and live there. Also, they said that they're going to be ramping up a recruitment drive. So uh, Foxconn says that they're going to be reorganizing the facilities to further restrict the movement to between the factory and the dorms. They're also offering one-time bonuses for anybody who wants to return to the factory in order to try to ramp up what they're seeing as a, a worker shortage there. And they're also, of course, uh, trying to encourage more people, new workers, into the plant by offering a salary hike of 20% about $4.20 per hour at the factory. Now, official media have been quoting uh, people at the factory saying that uh, they are hoping that they're going to see a full production by the end of November. Now, the local authorities have been under tremendous pressure uh, Frank, as you could imagine, because not only are they having to deal with these economic conditions, but they're also getting criticized by Beijing. Uh, Beijing singled out the town as uh, saying that uh, they had excessive controls. So a lot of people are starting to think that we might see more targeted measures um, out of that city as well as others around the country. So Eunice, are there any specific examples of what this targeted approach may actually look like? There are, and in fact, in Zhengzhou itself, um, the um, authorities said that instead of having to um, be in a situation where, which is what we see all the time here, which is one case, for example, triggering the shutdown of an entire community, several blocks, or uh, maybe just one building, uh, this time the Zhengzhou authorities said that um, they're going to fine tune the approach so that if there is, they said, less than two cases, which means one case, uh, that they would only shut up the shut the person up in the apartment as opposed to shutting down the entire uh, block or residence. Of course, the uh, real issue and one that the Beijing leadership uh, didn't really take much blame for over the weekend is this idea that if you set the 
the goal at zero or near zero COVID, then because of the top-down approach of this country, uh, most of the people on the lower levels are going to try to reach that goal. All right, certainly something to watch. Our Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, always great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Washington bracing for tomorrow's midterm elections, where voters say they stand on the state of D.C. and the country overall as they head to the polls. Much more on this story. Stay tuned to Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Looking at the U.S. Capitol right now, ahead of the midterm elections tomorrow. The results are in from the latest NBC News midterm poll, the final check on the pulse of the voter before tomorrow's midterm elections. We're about to get in just a moment. Our Alon Moy, she joins us now with much more on this. Uh, some bated breath here, Alon. A lot of excitement, a lot of tension, a lot of apprehension about what we're going to see when people go to the polls tomorrow. Yeah, Frank, well, this latest NBC poll shows that America is growing more pessimistic and Republicans are gaining ground. A whopping 81 percent of voters say they are dissatisfied with the state of the economy. That's a record for President Biden's time in office, and it's the highest level since the aftermath of the Great Recession. In addition, half of voters told NBC they are very unhappy with the economy. So that just shows you the depth of frustration among the electorate right now. Now, a majority of those who are dissatisfied are Republican, 55 percent. But Democrats aren't pleased either. 38 percent, more than a third, also gave the economy a negative rating. At dueling rallies in the battleground state of Pennsylvania over the weekend, both parties tried to spin these numbers in their favor. Former President Trump blamed Democrats for squandering a strong economy. I hope you're not counting on having turkey for Thanksgiving, because number one, you can't get a turkey. And number two, if you do, it will cost approximately three times what you paid last year. So good luck on Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, former President Obama highlighted the progress since the pandemic. A lot of folks thought with a historic pandemic like that and the shutdown that we would potentially go into a Great Depression. And we did not. And unemployment is very low right now because of the actions he took. But President Biden's approval rating has dipped over the past month. So, Frank, that means Democrats are going to be swimming upstream heading into the elections tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, former President Obama was in my hometown of Philadelphia, certainly a battleground state. Um, so question to you, what impact does President Biden's approval rating, what, uh, do, what impact do you see that having on the midterm elections? Yeah, so according to NBC, Biden's approval rating is now at 44 percent. That's slightly lower than it was last month at 45 percent. But what's really interesting is when you dig down into his approval rating by party. Of course, Democrats give him a sky high rating in the 80s. Republicans give him a very low rating in single digits. But his approval rating among independents has really cratered. It now just stands at 28 percent. That's the lowest level in at least a year. And that's important because right now you have a very divided electorate. You have a very polarized electorate and both sides are seeing very similar levels of enthusiasm and engagement. So it's really going to be up to those independent voters in the swing states who will make the difference. And if President Biden isn't doing very well uh, among that group, that means Democratic candidates have to prove that they're more popular than the president. And that's really a tough sell. Uh, LR Alon Moy, live in D.C. with the very latest. Uh, it's going to be a big day tomorrow. Thank you, Alon, as always. Great to see you. All right, joining me now on what this all means for investors is Stiefel Financial Chief Washington Policy Strategist Brian Gardner. 
He's also the co-host of the Potomac Perspective podcast. little alliteration there, Brian. Um, great to have you on. Good morning. Um, let's just jump right into it, Brian. We heard Alon's report. Um, a lot of excitement, a lot of engagement. What's your base case for what we're going to see in the midterm elections tomorrow? So good morning. Uh, happy Election Day Eve. Uh, so the base case is that uh, is a Republican sweep. Uh, I've been very confident for months um, uh, that Republicans would would uh, flip the House. Uh, the Senate was always um, more challenging for them based on where the seats are and what the map looks like. And the momentum in the last month or so has clearly been in the Republican direction. So, so we sit here this morning. Uh, I, I'm I'm expecting about a 53 seat Republican majority in the Senate, a gain of three seats uh, tomorrow night with the proviso that Georgia could go to a runoff. So um, everybody remembers two years ago when we had the uh, Georgia runoff, it could be Georgia on my mind all over again <laughs> uh, the, the whole month through. Yeah, I was in Georgia uh, when uh, some of those elections were happening. A lot of excitement there as well. But oh, yeah. I, I want to just be clarify, you're saying clean sweep. You see Republicans winning both the House and the Senate. What do you think that means for the markets so in the, in the short term, I think it's a positive for the markets. I think there's a market rally uh, in, in the wake of a Republican sweep. Um, longer term, it's a little bit more complex. As I look into next year, there are challenges for a Republican majority, keeping the government open, raising the debt ceiling. And there are Republicans, especially conservatives within the House, that will push back on their own leadership. So if if we don't get a government funding bill in the lame duck session that takes us through the entire fiscal year, then we're going to have to revisit government spending, at least in the early part of 2023. And that raises the prospects of government shutdowns. Those are short term trading issues. The market tends to sell off, but recover very quickly when the government reopens. The bigger issue is the debt ceiling. I think we could see a repeat of something like 2011 when there was a standoff between President Obama and then Speaker Boehner. Markets sold off and they did not. Equity markets did not recover right away. There's a loss of confidence in that kind of situation in the United States government. And so there's a risk off trade that can last several months. So that, that, that's something that I have my eye on. Yeah, the government shut down, certainly uh, an issue for the not only the markets, but just the general country overall. Let's assume that doesn't happen. Let's look at the glass half full in the situation. And Republicans do a sweep, as you mentioned. Um, what sectors do you see as the biggest beneficiaries in this mini rally after the midterms that you're forecasting? So, you know, I, I think there's a there's a broad relief, but uh, energy in particular, um, because the Biden administration has gone so hard at energy. But I think uh, uh, carbon based energy um, probably does well. Um, I think financials do modestly well. So th those are two that that I look at. But, you know, I think investors have to temper their expectations. What a what a legislative sweep does is it blocks the administration's uh, legislative agenda. So there's not going to be any tax hikes on on the horizon. At the same time, the regulatory agenda stays mostly in place. And so, you know, when I say they're positives for energy, for financials, a couple of others, you know, don't get overly exuberant because the regulators are going to still be able to pursue the Biden regulatory agenda, which I don't think is is uh, very welcomed by from investors. All right. Speaking of regulation, we we're talking about cryptocurrency earlier today overseas here in the United States. What does that Republican sweep mean for cryptocurrency? So keep your eye um, on, on a couple of things. The House Financial Services Committee, if Republicans take the House, it will that committee will probably be led by Congressman Patrick McHenry of North Carolina. Uh, Congressman McHenry has been very uh, interested and uh, involved in fintech and crypto related issues 
Uh, he's very engaged on the issue, and I, I think he pushes for legislation. The Senate's a little bit more complex. It has to be more collegial and, and bipartisan, and you have to, a little more compromises necessary in the Senate. There are a couple of bills that have been floating around the last couple of months. There would be a new head of the banking committee. It would probably be Tim Scott of South Carolina. We don't know that for sure. Uh, Senator Scott is less engaged in crypto, but I do think there are members of his committee on the Republican side that want to push for uh, clarity on on rules surrounding crypto. So I, I do think there is a push with a Republican sweep at, crypt, at passing crypto related legislation. Um, and I think it's better than we've seen in a couple of months. It's far from a slam dunk. All right. A lot of material there for the Potomac Perspective podcast. I saying that three times fast. Brian Gardner from Stiefel. We appreciate it. Thank you. Fred. And be sure to turn in to tune in to CNBC's election night special business on the ballot tomorrow night at seven Eastern. We're going to hit the business topics that play in the midterms and how the results can impact your money. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, investors turning their attention to the big week ahead with a key focus on the latest look at inflation. Matrix Assets Advisors David Katz lays out what you need to watch and the stocks where he is finding opportunity. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Another very busy week ahead, starting with speeches from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, Boston Fed President Susan Collins, and Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin today. We also get earnings from Activision, Blizzard, and Lyft. And as we've been talking about throughout the show, tomorrow is, of course, Election Day. We also get earnings from DuPont. On Wednesday, New York Fed President John Williams and Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin speaking again. We also get earnings from Disney on Thursday, a big day for Wall Street with the October CPI due out that morning. Fed Governor Christopher Waller also speaks later in that day. And then on Friday, a slew of Fed speak from Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker, Dallas Fed President Lori Logan, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, Kansas City Fed President Esther George, and New York Fed President John Williams. We're also going to get the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey for November and then earnings from SoftBank. A lot to digest there. A lot more of that's on CNBC.com if you need it. All right, with another busy week on tap, let's dive into the moves investors need to make with their money with David Katz, Matrix Assets Advisor, Chief Investment Officer. David, great to have you here. Good morning. Nice to be here. So, David, you're one of the few clearly optimistic voices on Wall Street. you got to spell out your thesis here. Why are you so optimistic? So, basically, we think stock prices have declined to a level that takes into account a lot of the negatives. Short term, we're still expecting some negative news. The economy is slowing. Issues out of China, we're not clear on this week's CPI number. We think the Fed is going to continue to talk hawkish for the moment. Those are the bad things. The good thing is inflation is definitely breaking. If you look at 12 months after inflation breaks, stocks are generally a lot higher. We think the election probably brings gridlock. That generally is good for stocks. Valuations have gone from 21 times earnings to 14 and a half, 15 times earnings. On a stock-by-stock basis, we're seeing a lot of really good businesses at great prices. Historically, that's been a very good time to buy stocks. So we think if you can turn down the volume, if you can look out 12 months rather than 12 hours, you're going to make very good money in stocks, but you have to be willing to put up with some bad news in the near term. Yeah, I mean, definitely some bad news in the near term. Apple with its warning about a slowdown due to slowdowns, uh, COVID lockdowns in China. Another that piece of that bad news that just kind of threw in there. Um, so you're mentioning that there's great businesses at good prices right now due to some of this pressure that we've had. Can you give us some examples of the kind of companies you're talking about? Sure. Companies like Google, Microsoft, PayPal, 
Qualcomm, all really good business, good long-term prospects. Google and Microsoft are, are back into the teens multiple. That rarely, if ever, happens. PayPal had a good quarter the other day. They announced that they're uh, slowing revenue projections for this upcoming quarter. However, they upped the earnings guidance. They're finally cutting costs. That stocks at 16, 17 times earnings. Really good growth company at a great price. Qualcomm sells at 12 times earnings or 10 times earnings. Uh, business is slow because of issues that we're right now having with cell phones, but that is going to end. So if you can look at 12 months, these are old companies that could be 30 to 50 percent higher. Generally, we only get this excited about stocks after really bad times or when the news flow is pretty bad. However, 12 months from now, you're kicking yourself for not having bought more. We think we're in one of those type of environments. Well, you are a bold person picking a chip name right now after all the ups and downs and the volatility we've seen in that sector. I'm going to get to one more of your picks, USB. Why is that one of your picks right now? So the banking group is one of the few groups that had better than expected earnings and better than expected outlooks, yet the stocks are down 25, 30 percent. Uh, USB is a classic example of that. It's paying a four and a half percent dividend, which is going up. It's under 10 times earnings. They're about to make a or close on a acquisition that's going to be very accretive to earnings and you're buying it at a great price. The banks are a group that are, should be in their sweet spot. We think if we have a recession, it's going to be a mild recession. Banks come through very well and we think you should get a multiple expansion on it. Yet You're buying them at great prices. All right. So looking ahead, obviously, there's another Fed meeting coming up. And before that, we have another inflation report coming up this week. How do you see the Fed playing into the markets and how does it impact your thesis if we have a 50 basis point hike or a 75 point basis hike? Well, we think whether the Fed raises 50 or 75, they're getting close to ending. We're hopeful that they do a 50. There is a lag effect. When you raise rates as much as they have, it doesn't happen immediately. It happens three to six months out. So we definitely are seeing inflation breaking. You're seeing the labor market slow down. Uh, today, there's a story you, you just talked about with Meta laying off people. A number of technology companies slowed or stopped their hirings in the upcoming year. Uh, housing markets are slowing significantly. Commodity prices are coming down. So we're hopeful that the Fed can be a little bit more nuanced, look at what's happening in terms of the CPI rather than the past number. And as soon as they start to talk a little bit more dovish game, and we're not expecting that this week, but we are expecting it within the next one to two months, the markets are going to rally very significantly. You want to be there before the fact rather than after the fact. All right, David Katz, an optimistic voice on a Monday morning. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. All right, one last look at the markets right now. Solidly in the green, the Dow looks like it could open up almost 150 points higher. The S&P and the NASDAQ both up about a half a percent in the pre-market. Remember, as always, it's early. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.